0: We have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to jump right in. Uh, our passage is going to be Romans 8, 29 through 39, uh, so if y'all want to go ahead and just turn there. To open this passage, I, I wanted to give some background or remind everybody uh, the background of who Paul uh, is or was, um, <clears throat> and I want to talk about his conversion uh, to Christianity, because parts of this passage are going to be a little bit difficult. Uh, they are uh, very contra- some controversial uh, topics. And I think Paul's conversion will help kind of illuminate Paul's thinking on what it means to be a Christian uh, and what he's talking about in these passages. So, so Paul was a, uh, a very zealous guy. Uh, he was anti-Christian, um, specifically targeting the Church of Christ. We know that he was responsible for the death of Stephen. Uh, one of the early leaders in the early church. Um, And when he was converted, he was on his way to Damascus. He had asked for permission to go there under the authority of the chief priests at the time to send people back to Jerusalem um, so that they could go to trial and potentially face um, either death or uh, other terrible things. And so what I want you to, to notice is that Paul's plan, his intention for his life, his purposes uh, were to, to oppose Christ uh, and to, to oppose the church. That was Paul's intentions. Uh, then he, he, on the road, Christ appears to him uh, in a bright light and asks him why he's persecuting him. And, and Paul says, who are you? And, and Jesus announces that, that he's Jesus uh, and tells Paul to go and wait for what he's supposed to do in Damascus. And Paul faithfully reacts by doing exactly what Jesus said to do. He waits in Damascus. Uh, he's blinded by the experience. Um, he's no longer doing what he had intended to do. His intentions have changed based on God's call on his life. Um, And then Jesus appears to Ananias, and Ananias is a prophet, and he tells Ananias to go to Paul and explain to him what he's supposed to do with his life. And Ananias says, why would I go to Paul? We all know why Paul is here. He's here to catch us, basically, to take us back to Jerusalem, uh, throw us in prison. And uh, Jesus' response, is key, he says, of Paul, he says that Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. What I want to emphasize here is that Jesus says that Paul is his chosen instrument. It does not say that Paul chose Jesus. Uh, Paul was persecuting the church, he was opposing actively as much as he possibly could uh, the idea that Jesus is the Son of God. But then the very next thing it says in Acts is that the man that showed up in Damascus to persecute the church is in synagogues proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. So his entire purpose has changed based on God's call on his life. And the people say of him, they say, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem, Of those who called upon this name, the name of Christ. And has he not come here for this purpose?" So, Paul's purpose uh, was to bring Christians bound before the chief chief priests. Um, And so, it just goes to show, like, how big of a change this was. This was not Paul's plan. It's completely changed him that God has uh, called him. And now he is doing the exact opposite. His intentions, his desires have changed. So fast forward, probably 20 years or so, Paul's writing this book to the Romans. Um, And before we get to our passage, I want to kind of go through the general argument and flow of Romans as a book. Uh, Paul starts out by claiming his authority, and he bases or roots his authority on his call as an apostle. Paul says, you need to listen to me, not because of who I am, Uh, and he'll say this in some of the other books, like who I was was somebody who persecuted the church, basically the worst of people, Uh, not just some random sinner, but somebody actively opposing God. Uh, But you need to listen to me because God has called me to be an apostle. Apostle means messenger, God has made me a messenger to you, and because of that, I have authority, not my authority, but God's authority because of His call on my life. So, that's how Paul starts out this letter. Then he goes into uh, stating that that, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel, through the message that we can be forgiven through faith in Christ. This theme of the righteousness of God is throughout Romans, so Paul is going to talk about some really uh, complicated and difficult things, but he's reminding the people constantly even though you may not understand some of this, even though this may be difficult, this is difficult for a human to grasp, you can have faith and trust that God is righteous. Everything He does is right. Uh, there's no uh, fault in Him. He's not doing anything evil. No matter what it looks like, God is righteous. Key theme in Romans, uh, and Paul is calling us to just trust that. Uh, we can have trust in God because of His righteousness. And then he basically humbles everybody because he goes into, but all of us, we're not righteous. And the root problem that Paul uh, talks about is our rebellion against God. And he, he goes through a list of a whole bunch of like, just basically some of the worst sins and most out of control sins. Uh, but he says all of that was rooted in our rebellion. And that rebellion came from Adam or Adam and Eve, the very first people, both the man and the woman rebelled against God. They were perfect in creation and they rebelled. Like our best representatives uh, are rebelled against God and now and now everything has fallen apart. Like there's sin, we're evil, and we are we are under the need for judgment because God is righteous. Because God does things right. Uh, he can't let all this evil go unpunished uh, and that's a good thing. Paul sees the righteousness of God as a great blessing uh, not just uh, for salvation but just in general it is a good thing um, and the the gospel that Paul is giving is that we can be made righteous or justified uh, through Christ who is our our um, our replacement as far as uh, undergoing the wrath of God. So, Paul's explanation of that is that Christ was born a man underneath uh, or into a body of rebellion into our flesh, uh, but He overcame it. He didn't sin. He took on the wrath of God and provided a way for us to be raised to a new life. So that's Paul's overall argument. Then in the section where our passage is, Paul is basically reacting to that information. Um, he has proven that, like, nobody seeks God on their own. We have every… Um, or we need to be humble before God because we owe everything to Him. Uh, and yet, at the same time, what this means is that we can have great confidence in what God is doing in our lives, and we can have great confidence in spite of the suffering that we go to, and Paul knows suffering because we know back in Acts. Jesus specifically called Paul to a life of extreme suffering. And in other books, He describes some of the suffering that He went through. And in our passage today, He is providing encouragement to us and assurance to us um, that although we are called to suffer uh, for the gospel and in the same way that Christ our God suffered for us. Uh, All of this is for the purpose of being conformed to or being made like Christ. So, that's my intro, sorry it's long, Um, but let's um, get to our verses. So, the main point of this whole section is that God has predetermined a glorious destiny for His people according to His eternal purposes and nothing can separate His people from His care." It's kind of long, so I'll repeat that. Um, God has predetermined a glorious destiny for His people according to His eternal purposes, and nothing can separate His people from His care. So, um the first verses I'm going to go over are verses 28 through 30 I'm going to go back and review 28 real quick because this is all kind of one long thought by Paul and the point uh or the 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 point I want to I guess uh, summarize from this uh is my first subpoint and that is that God is conforming believers to the image of his son according to God's will according to his plan um and so I'm just going to read through and kind of just explain these verses uh, one by one. So, in verse 28, which I covered last week, and uh, Heath uh, explained, is, "...and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose." So, just quick review of this verse, Um, When when he's talking about those who love God, he's talking about believers. Uh, He's not saying that believers then need to do something extra to love God. He's just describing what believers look like. We are people that love God. If we don't have love God, or if we don't have love God, if we don't love God, we are not believers. Um, He's he's just describing believers. Uh, And then he says, all things work together for good. God works all things together for good. Uh, and then he again expands what he means by believer. Believers are those called according to God's purpose. Um, So that's basically like his thesis for these next two verses. So the next verse, verse 29, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." So, at the beginning of that, think of this whole verse as like a parenthetical to the verse uh, before. It's like he's further explaining the the same ideas. And the first thing he's further explaining when he says, those he foreknew and predestined, those again are references to believers, Uh, those are the ones that are called according to his purpose. Uh, When he says foreknew, uh, in the Old Testament, which would be Paul's main context for his thinking. There are different ways the word know is used. One of the senses of the word know in the Old Testament, when God knows somebody, uh, it, it'll, it oftentimes is at the beginning of His call on their life, uh, and it, it, it is almost synonymous with the idea of choosing or anointing. And so, for instance, it describes, it uses the word know, but we actually translate in our English Bibles as uh, God chose, but it says, God knew Abraham. And then it talks about Abraham's calling, like, because God knew him, this was his calling. This was what he was going to go do. Um, so, the same can be seen of Jeremiah when, when God talks about how Jeremiah was uh, called to be a prophet. He says he knew him before he was born uh, and anointed him to be uh, a prophet, and, uh, and that anointed is kind of a, a further explanation of that, of that concept of knowing. So Paul, that's that's the sense of the word knowing here. But when he says foreknown, like he knew before, he's talking about before like time started, before creation. He anointed or foreknew a group of people. And and when and if you're in doubt, like the next word predestined is an explanation of the same concept. So he foreknew and predestined. He had a plan in place of conforming a group of people to His will. And the idea of conforming us to the image of His Son, uh, that is an explanation of what it means that God is doing good for us, or doing all things for our good. The ultimate good, according to uh, God's thinking, the ultimate blessing that He can give to us is to make us like His Son. That is the glorious message uh, and the thing that Paul wants us to be thankful for and excited about. Um, And this is kind of helpful when people may be uh, struggling with, like, you know, I want to continue to live a life of sin, uh, but, you know, it's okay as long as I believe. Well, like, they don't get it because the whole point of believing, the whole point of God calling people to faith is so that they can give up sin, so that they can give up rebellion against God, so that they can enjoy the, the glorious experience of being pure before God uh, and being united with God. So, so, this is the gift. The gift, the good thing that God is doing for us, is to be made like His Son. Um, and then He explains that a little further, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers, and you could translate that brothers as uh, brothers and sisters. It's just a general term in Greek, it's it's gender neutral. Um, The point is, uh, two things I want to notice is that we will be made so much like Christ that we are part of the family, like I talked about last year uh, of God, last summer when I was here. Um, Just before this in Romans is where He talks about us calling out to, to God as Abba Father. Um, so, this is a, an important theme, and this is part of that gift, like being made like his son so much that we become uh brothers and sisters of Christ. but Christ is still the firstborn, meaning that Christ is unique we don 't become exactly like him, and Christ is superior uh eternally, which makes sense uh he 's obviously acted very differently than any other human. He's accomplished something none of us could accomplish. He is permanently the firstborn Son of God, uh, and we are like the second generation, or I don't know how you want to think about it, but uh, we are distinctly different. Um, But this was God's plan. So verse 30, you can think of as like further explanation of what happened in verse 29. So, at the beginning of verse 30, he says, those whom He predestined, He called. So, he comes back to both of those ideas. Notice he doesn't use the word foreknown uh, in, when he says predestined, that's because it's one concept, foreknown and predestined, same concept. Um, and here, he's, this kind of shows that. Um, and so, everybody, this is Paul's argument, everybody that God anointed before uh, things, uh, everybody that He predestined, everybody that He uh, called, or everybody that He foreknew, He also called. So called is like the activation of His anointing. Uh, It's what causes us to react uh, to God, because His argument in Romans was that everybody is utterly in rebellion uh, against God. There is no difference between my rebellion uh, or the rebellion of uh, somebody who now believes and the rebellion of somebody who never believes. Like, our rebellion is total. Uh, There's nothing in us that seeks God. That's literally what Paul says in chapter 3. So, what causes us to change? Well, just like in Paul's life, like in Acts, God calls us, and that changes us and causes us to desire to submit to God, whereas before we only desired to, um, to rebel against God, to oppose God. Uh, that calling changes us. Some people will argue that God calls everybody, but only some respond. The problem with that is the next thing that Paul says. The next thing that Paul says is, those that, that He called, He also justified. So everybody that gets called is made righteous. Everybody responds uh, to God's call. So we do respond out of our own desires and out of our, like, Paul, after Christ called him, then he faithfully did what Christ said, and he did it of his own desires, his own intentions and purposes, but his intentions and purposes were changed by the call of God, and then his faith once activated Uh, results in his righteousness, his faithful uh, response to God. The next part, those whom he justified, or those whom he makes righteous or made righteous, uh, he also glorified. So, this is Paul describing the ultimate end of all things. We are going to be glorified with Christ. We are going to be made so much like him that we share in his glory. This is where Paul wants us to, to have a great hope for the future. Now interestingly, this word is in the past tense. So there are two uh, explanations for why it's in the past tense. First one um, is that it's, it's so um, sure that it's going to happen, he's just emphasizing it's like it's already happened because it has been accomplished even though it hasn't in actuality occurred yet. Uh, that's one explanation. Another explanation that I kind of favor a little bit is the idea that it, it actually has started. Uh, we are starting to be glorified in some senses, but it's, it's not fully completed, because it's obvious from earlier in the chapter, he talks about that nothing can be compared to the future revealing of the glory of the saints. So there is definitely a sense that we will be glorified in a much bigger way than we are now in, in the end. Uh, at the end times we're at the judgment. Um, but the way, I, the way I'm kind of understanding this is, in one sense, though, it is glorious that we now seek God where we used to only oppose Him. It is glorious that we desire God where we used to not desire Him or desire uh, against Him. Um, we used to put other things as our God and enjoy Uh, glorifying the wrong things and glorifying things that are not gods as gods. Um, And now we have a a true and real joy in glorifying the true God as God, and in my mind that is uh, a beginning of our future glory. So that is those verses. Um, And the next section is going to be my next big point. So. The sub-point for this section is, if God is for us, all things are literally for us. All things are created for us if God is working all things for us. Um, And remember, this section is in the context of Paul talking about suffering, so uh, he's meaning us to have assurance in suffering, and yet he's also telling us that it's coming and, and suffering is not enjoyable. Uh, but literally, his argument is that all things are for us, like for the purpose of something related to us, us being conformed to the image of Christ. So, in our suffering, there is a deep purpose. Even though we may not understand how that connects, it does. Uh, and our faith is trusting God, even, even if we don't fully understand. So, Let's look at his the flow of his uh, argument here. So, in verse thirty-one, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So he is he has stated in the section before. Uh, not only are we called according to God's purposes, but His purposes are eternal. He has always intended to do this, um, and everybody that He has called, God will accomplish their glorification in the end. So, literally, it does not depend on us. God is working in us, through us, for us, and, and we, even though we see our own weaknesses and we may fear, you know, how could I change? How can I be faithful? What Paul is saying is God is going to accomplish, like, your desire to be faithful, just trust Him in that, and He is going to make you grow in faithfulness, and you will end faithful. Um, and so so literally, the second question, "If God is for us, who can be against us?" the answer is no one. Uh, it's a rhetorical question uh and it's more than just the sense of they can't oppose us because they are opposing us, but the point is like literally they're opposing us for us, like for our good in the end um, and then in verse 32, he's kind of like exclaiming more about that. It says, he, God, who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So here's the mystery of suffering uh, and how I think about it. We uh, Suffering is terrible. Paul's going to talk a little bit more about that in the next verse. Uh, he does not say that suffering is not unenjoyable or that it makes sense. Uh, what he does point out, and he's he's emphasizing in this verse, is that Christ also suffered. When we are being made like Him, we are suffering like Him. Uh, it is part of our growth into being made into His image. Uh, so whatever like whatever purpose suffering has, which the Bible doesn't like explain all of that maybe it's cuz we can't understand it maybe it's because we're not meant to know right now but whatever purpose suffering has it's in, it's purpose is important enough that god god put or felt that it was worthwhile that his own son be humiliated on the cross and take the wrath of the original sin from adam the, the greatest sin, the rebellion against God, that's the wrath that Christ took. So that level of suffering is the maximum suffering that somebody could take. Um, and so, you know, people sometimes ask, like, you know, why do I have to go through suffering? Something to think about is why did Jesus have to go through suffering? Like, I don't understand all of that either, like why that's part of God's plan. But whatever the reason is, it's important enough that that God thought it worthwhile uh, for His own Son to, to take on His wrath. Um, and so, the, the point I want you to see is that suffering is not meaningless. Uh, if you go through something terrible, if you see people going through th- terrible things, uh, everything has a purpose. And in the end, as Paul is emphasizing over and over again, God is righteous. God does not do wrong things, Uh, evil is bad, God is good. Um, And so, He's not saying, oh, this is how it all works, and doesn't this make perfect sense? He's saying, trust God, trust His righteousness, and that's the answer to how you're going to make it through life, Um, and that's what He intends for you. So the next um, verse is, um, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So, going back to uh, his original argument and his flow throughout Romans, if God has made us righteous, God being the only one that is righteous, uh, literally nobody can accuse us because He's the only one that has the right to accuse. But He's made us righteous. He has uh, made us right before Him. Uh, So, there is Literally, it doesn't matter what you've done or what you may accuse yourself of. God's making us righteous is bigger than ourselves making ourselves uh, unrighteous. It's bigger than the bad uh, in our lives and in our desires. Um, That's Paul's argument. And then the next verse, who is to condemn... Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So, he's expanding on the same idea. Who is to condemn? Well, when he mentions Christ Jesus is the one who died, he's mentioning Christ because Christ is the one that has the right to condemn. Christ lived as a person and yet lived righteously. He has authority. God gives. Christ's authority, like at the end of Matthew, because Christ inherited that authority because He came down to earth and He did the right things that man was supposed to do, He did for us, made Himself worthy to be king, to be our king, um, and so He's the one with the authority to to condemn. But for believers, that's not what He's doing. The, The Christ, the Anointed One, who has the right to condemn is the one who died. Uh, he's the one that sacrificed Himself for His people. He is uh, the one who then was raised, the defeated, the unrighteousness, or the thing that would cause condemnation. Uh, and He is at the right hand of God, the place of honor, uh, and, and He is interceding for us instead of condemning us. So, so yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so my next point, sorry, is uh, for the next verses, the subpoint is going to be, be encouraged in suffering because nothing can separate us from God's love. So he has showed us that this is all part of God's plan. We have reacted to uh, God. We are uh, seeking God, and from his original argument, nobody does that naturally. If we're seeking God, that is from God. We are called according to His purpose. It's part of God's plan. We can have full and total confidence that He will finish what He started. Uh, he will faithfully complete the work that He started in us. And, um, and so we need to be encouraged through all of our suffering, understanding that it really is for us, part of His glorious plan for us with Him. Um, and nothing can separate us in our suffering from God's love. So... So so in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Uh, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What I want to emphasize here, he goes through a list of different types of suffering. Um, You know, Paul is not saying so therefore, we need to always be cheery when bad things happen because we have so much confidence in all these things. He's—he's he's not saying those things, or he's not saying that. He is saying that suffering is real. Uh, He—he uses the word distress. So we're going to be distressed. Uh, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be discouraging. It's going to be hard, uh, and that's okay. That's expected. Um, Christ also suffered. Suffering is an actual like experience with our whole being, uh, our, you know, it, it's not cheery, it's, it's uh, difficult. And his point is not that we won't go through that, his point is that that cannot separate us from the love of God. God is with us, and actually, somehow in all of that, He is loving us and has a plan, and there's deep meaning in all of that suffering, there's deep purpose. Um, So, you know, I oftentimes will think the worst thing when I'm going through some kind of suffering is that it would not have meaning, that it would be pointless, that I would go through something terrible, and then at the end, it didn't even need to happen. Uh, it It served no purpose. Paul is saying, like, categorically, like, that is not the case. If you're going through suffering, it is the same suffering that Christ went through, uh, and it, it has deep purpose and importance. Uh, we don't understand it all, but suffering is important enough that even Christ suffered. Um, and in verse 37, He says, No, so to the answer, He's answering the question of uh, who shall separate us. It's like nobody or no one uh, shall separate us, because in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, this is kind of a a beautiful little uh, piece of encouragement. He is saying that we are more than conquerors because, yes, when we're suffering, oftentimes we are being opposed, whether it be by people or by spiritual forces or whatever it may be, we are being opposed in this world. Uh, whether it even be our own flesh, uh, we are in a battle, and, and he is saying that we are more than conquerors because not only are we fighting in a battle, but we're fighting in a battle uh, that's part of a war that's already been won, that the destiny is predetermined. Uh, and that ultimate destiny is that we would be glorified with Christ and be justified, made completely pure and righteous with God forever uh, in unity with Him. So, His encouragement to us is meant to be uh, profound, and that's why He lists all these things that are bigger than than any one person. I mean, height and depth, things present, things in the future, uh, all powers, uh, death or life, like... I don't know about you, but all of those things are things that would typically intimidate me. Uh, and so that's normal to be intimidated by those things. But we serve the God that created all the reality that we see. And His plan is, is as Paul has already described, to justify us and to glorify us with Him. So um, the application of all of this is uh, Paul talks a lot in Romans uh, about how we are debtors to God, um, and when he's talking about our reaction to his whole message in Romans, uh, and you're not in debt to somebody unless they have given you something uh, that you didn't deserve or that you didn't pay for. Uh, and that's what he means by we are indebted to God. God has given us a great gift. What is that gift? The gift is that He is going to glorify us in the image of His Son. But he's making us righteous in spite of the fact that we were in complete rebellion against him uh, and completely and utterly sinful. He has given us the free gift. Grace is a completely free gift. Um, and so, we should react as people that are thankful and grateful. Uh, and so, Paul speaks of himself as somebody who is obligated by the gospel. He's obligated by his calling. He understands his calling, what he's supposed to go do. And, and he is uh, passionate about it. I mean, he, in some of uh, the descriptions of him, it talks about how he cries over people that he's trying to uh, share the gospel with, uh, and he eagerly and um, courageously goes after uh, forwarding the gospel. And his plan in Romans is to go to Spain, uh, and he's expecting the uh, Romans to support him in that ministry uh, because he sees it as an obligation on all of us not because of who Paul is, but because of what God has done for us um, and His eventual plan uh, to glorify us with Him. So in conclusion, um, what I want you guys to understand, even though some of these ideas like predestination, foreknowledge, they are difficult to understand, uh, and I'm more than happy to talk more about it and try to explain it as best I understand it. but it's kind of like in Habakkuk, uh, back when I preached Habakkuk, Habakkuk was having the issue of seeing all the evil in the world and not understanding why the righteous God wasn't fixing the this, this situation. And the first time God answers him, He says that He's sending judgment. But the, but then Habakkuk says, yeah, but that judgment's coming through people that are worse, even more evil. How can that be right? And God's second answer is He doesn't respond how it all works. He just shows His righteousness and His glory to Habakkuk. And then Habakkuk just says, I, I, don't, I don't know how it works, but like, I am in awe of God and I believe, I trust. And that's, that is what we're told to do uh, and urged to do, and and we should be. Um, Or I guess this passage exhorts us uh, to have confidence and a hope, a great hope. Uh, When Paul is speaking of hope, it is a a future confidence of God's eternal intentions that we just rest in that uh, and face the difficulties that we face in this world uh, with that assurance. So that is it. So let me pray real quick and then we'll close. Uh, God, I just um, thank you so much for, for your gospel, for everything that you've accomplished in our lives and are accomplishing. God, you are bigger than we are. You are infinitely wise. And as Paul emphasizes over and over again, and really the whole Bible emphasizes, you are holy and righteous. And when it says that we need to have faith, we just need to trust. Uh, and it's through trusting you and leaning more on you. Uh, that you work in us and change us and grow us. And uh, God, we ask for that, knowing that it is through your power that we are changed and made strong. Uh, And we ask with faith, knowing that this is your intention and your eternal plan. And we just are grateful uh, for the opportunity and uh, and the great gift uh, that you have given us uh, to serve you and to become like you. Uh, It's in your name we pray. Amen.